0: Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city." Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give, him, give up the manslayer into his hand, because he has struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the city of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, and in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. They appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tab- tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, and anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, till he stood before the congregation.
1: Church, we've, we've, we're in such an exciting time. We, you know, we're full uh, Sundays. You, if you want to get a good seat, better get here early, just telling you. Uh, because we're having a hard time finding seats, but uh, it won't be long, and we'll be in a new church. Uh, We're going to have another update in a couple of months, or excuse me, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, no. uh, Either next week or the next week, within two weeks, we're going to have another video and a report in the service, but beginning next week, Before the service and after the service, there will be a screen set up in the foyer area around the coffee area. And if you want to see a weekly update of what has been done that week, there will be a video footage that you can just go while you're getting some coffee. You can see whatever it was they did that week. Uh, We've actually been using this footage and then compiling it every couple of months to show you, well, the pace of change is about to really pick up. And uh, pretty soon, we're going to have about three times the number of people out there on a weekly basis. And so the change is going to be so rapid, we want you to be able to kind of see it as it's happening. And so uh, Bob and Roy will be printing it on before the service and then after the service. So when you just swing by, you want to see what happened that week, okay? Well, this week, as I was uh, you know, preparing and studying this passage of Scripture, uh, the Lord brought back a memory from my childhood. My dad and I, uh, my dad was born in the 20s uh he was part of that you know uh, depression and greatest generation and all that and uh, one of the things that he and I like to do together was we watched old movies and we also watched the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour and uh we also watched the Muppets all the way up until about his death so I mean those two old guys they're hilarious right and uh uh, so we just did those things together, but the memory that popped back in my head was this old black-and-white movie that we watched with, I think it was Lon Chaney, who played the hunchback of Notre Dame. And uh, I remember that, that black-and-white, and then, of course, you know Disney came out with this bastardized version of it that was, that's not a dirty word, it really was messed up, where they just took the whole book and they just completely ruined it with the Disney version, sorry. The Hunchback of Notre Dame does not have a happy ending. They just ruined it, but I digress. I thought about that video and that black and white scene in there, and I I found it, but it wasn't that good. But they did a remake of the pivotal scene. And just to set this up, you know, Quasimodo, the, the hunchback bell ringer of the Cathedral of Notre Dame, he's in love with Esmeralda, who is falsely accused of murder, and of being a witch and they're gonna hang her. And he is so upset that and finally he grabs the rope and he swings down and he snatches her off the gallows and then swings back to the cathedral. And of course, everybody goes nuts, the soldiers, the police, and they're all running. That's where this scene begins. Turn your attention to the screen for a second. That's kinda creepy, I'll give you that. And there will be no gargoyles on our new church, I promise. But, you know, that, that, that scene there is pulling from a practice that had been in existence in Western civilization for more than a 1,000 years. And it was the idea that if you were guilty of a crime or the government was pursuing you or people were after you, you could go to a church, a or cathedral, or whatever, and you could claim sanctuary, refuge. And this actually went all the way back to within Christianity to the early 4th century in Rome when Christianity was proclaimed the the religion of the empire. And so churches became these places of sanctuary where even the Roman Empire would not enter and pursue a criminal. The, The person could live there, could stay there until some arrangement could be made for with the government, for example. So this was a time-honored tradition that the church provided refuge and sanctuary. And in actuality, the Romans did not struggle with this concept because even in their pagan uh, religions, they honored this idea of the temples of their pagan gods being a place of sanctuary for those who needed refuge. But what we find out in the scriptures is that this idea did not originate with the Romans and the Greeks. 1,400 years before they ever put it into practice, you see it here. God is the inventor of this idea of sanctuary, of refuge, and it's implemented here in Joshua chapter 20. Now, a couple of things for us to note here this morning. First of all, is that the cities of refuge were important for the people of Israel. You pick this up in the opening verses when the Lord said to Joshua, "'Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood.'" Now that right there is, makes you scratch your head and go, what is this Avenger of Blood thing? Or the Blood Avenger, you know, to put it in our terms. So let's re- realize the, far, the, the Middle East, uh, going back for centuries, was organized around the family unit and then the tribe. And then from the tribe as nations develop. But the tribe and the family was of utmost importance and so what would happen in those ancient days was if somebody murdered your family member or a member of your family, justice was pursued by the family, by the tribe, and they would redeem the blood of the slain person by killing the person who killed the person. Now, in the, in the ancient world, this would turn into blood feuds that could go for centuries and family lines are wiped out and they cease to exist, but... When God issued the law, the way he implemented it was that there was a blood avenger, the person who was to redeem the blood of the slain, murdered person. He had the right to take that person's life out of justice because he who sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. It's just in the Old Testament law. All humans are created in the image of God, and God is reinforcing the dignity of humanity with this law. However, the blood avenger could not then be sought after. He was fulfilling a legal responsibility to redeem the land. Otherwise, if blood was shed and it was not taken care of, the land became no longer sacred and holy but polluted. And so here's the concept of the blood avenger. But what do you do when the death is accidental? In other words, two guys, you know, guys out there working, they're chopping wood, the, the, the head of the ax flies off, hits the other dude in the head, and it kills him. Or if you've ever been to the Middle East, there's rocks everywhere, big rocks. You're clearing rocks, you know, and you don't realize that a guy is walking down the hill beneath you, and as you're throwing rocks, boom, one hits him in the head, kills him. All kinds of ways that people can be killed accidentally. Well, what about that person? That person didn't intentionally murder. It was what we would call manslaughter. And the cities of refuge were set up for people who would have been charged with accidental manslaughter. Now, to to set the context here, remember that the children of Israel have come into the promised land they are, there's 12 tribes. You know, going back in time, there was Abraham, the father of faith, his son Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he is the father of the Israelite nation. He has 12 sons, 12 tribes. They enter into the promised land. The Levites, one of the tribes, actually do not get a region of the land. Uh, they instead are assigned cities Uh, The Levitical cities where they are then able to minister to the people of God throughout the country, doing their work on God's behalf. Six of their cities are designated as cities of refuge. Three on the western side of the Jordan. Three on the eastern side of the Jordan. And these cities were the places where people could run. So how it worked was like this. Let's just say Johnny's axe head hits, you know, our brother here, Rick, and it kills him. Johnny could then turn and run to the closest regional city of refuge. When he got there, the elders would meet him, some of whom were probably priests, and they would want to know details of what had happened to ensure that this was that maybe premeditated murder. Based off of his story, they would, let's just say they let Johnny come into, you know, last Sunday with us, Johnny, you're going to get picked on, okay? Uh, You know They let Johnny into the city, and he is given refuge. They then reach out and they contact Johnny's hometown. And they say, hey, what's the deal here? Is he telling us the truth? Did he lie? The hometown, the elders would conduct a trial. The verdict of that trial would be sent back to the city of refuge. If they said, yeah, hey, uh, the, the guy's lying to you. He, he actually intended to kill. He's found guilty of murder. Then they would kick Johnny out, and as he walked out of the gates, there was a good chance the blood avengers waiting, ready to lower the boom on him. But if they said no, he, he, it was accidental manslaughter, Johnny would be welcome to stay within their city and live there and make a life there. If he went outside of the city, then all is fair. I mean, the blood avenger could bring about justice that way. But as long as he stayed in the city, his life was protected. He had refuge there. Now, there's great, as you think about that concept, you can automatically see why God would set that up. Great practical value for doing this. It ensured that justice was maintained in a proper way. An innocent person who didn't really intend to murder is not himself now being killed and and taken out because of something that was just an accident. But at the same time, it was a way to allow the legal system to work. And if he was guilty, he would then be turned over. Most importantly, it mitigated against the idea of blood feuds, where one like the Hatfield and McCoys in our history of America, where one family takes another family and back and forth, back and forth, and ultimately almost the entire family line is wiped out. So there was great practical value in this concept of the city, cities of refuge. But there is also theological value, spiritual value, in this idea. For example, it always reminded the people that the law was not some construct that was created because of sociological pressures and ideas that may have been popular at the time, like happens, with, frankly, with the law of our own land, where our law has been separated from the character of God. Instead, this was always a reminder that the law was to be anchored within the character of God. And so this reminded the people that, that God is a holy God and an aspect of his holiness is justice for crimes and for those who are victims. And while the people of God are to pursue justice for those who have been victimized by society or by a government or by some other factor of what's going on in our nation, Christianity and justice go hand in hand because God is a holy God and his holiness demands justice. But at the same time, God is a merciful God. He's a gracious God who will pour out his mercy on people who have situations, at least in the Old Testament, like this. And at mercy, it's needed because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. So these cities of refuge, they were important for the people of Israel, both practically and theologically. But at the same time, especially as we start preparing for the Lord's Supper, let's think about how the cities of refuge are an illustration of the gospel. Verse six says, and he, in other words, the, the manslaughterer, the, 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 you get the idea, and he shall remain in that city until he is stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. The, the cities of refuge are a great preview of the gospel. They, they foreshadow the good news of Jesus Christ. For example, they, they, they preview the superiority of the new covenant uh, that which Jesus brings about through his shed blood and the old covenant which they were living in under at that time. You see, in the cities of refuge, ultimately, the only people who could find refuge there were people who were innocent. They were innocent of murder, and they were the ones who found refuge and sanctuary. But the gospel provides refuge and salvation for the guilty. In fact, if you think about the gospel... The only person who can ever enjoy the benefits of the new covenant and the good news of Jesus Christ are those who start with the statement, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. And that includes me. you you can't even enter into the refuge of the gospel without first recognizing your need for that good news of Jesus Christ. If you come to Christ with the idea that, oh, hey, you know what? I'm actually a pretty good guy. I mean, you compare me to these people over here. I mean, I look awfully great here. And so Jesus You know, you're lucky to have me coming to you this morning, wanting to enter into the kingdom of God and be a part of your team. Uh, That's not how it starts. It starts by not by you not looking and comparing yourself to other people, but by you looking at yourself and comparing yourself to God. And by that perfect standard, We all fall short. We are all guilty. We are all in need of a place for refuge. And so the superiority of the new covenant is brought out here because the gospel says that the only way we find refuge and salvation is by first confessing our guilt and our sinfulness. It's also, when you think about it, the cities of refuge illustrate the gospel in the way that it previews and foreshadows that important truth within the gospel of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, but I want you to think about what verse 9 says again. In, in verse 9, we have this idea, uh, or excuse me, in verse 6, uh, we have this idea that the, the manslayer is there in the city of refuge, he has to live there, until the death of the high priest. The death of the high priest was then served as a substitute for the death of the person who was accidentally killed. And so the avenger, the blood avenger, was to accept the death of the high priest as satisfaction for the debt that was owed. And what an incredible preview this is of our own high priest who stands in our place and sheds his blood, and because of his shed blood, we have the forgiveness of all sin, and then we are pardoned, and we are now declared innocent, not guilty before God. We read in Hebrews 9, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world with his own blood, not the blood of Goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more. The blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. This idea of the city of refuge is a preview of what God has done here for us with the gospel. It's a preview of the inclusiveness of the gospel. When you consider uh, verse 9 which says those uh, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hands of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. One of the great aspects of this of this idea is how the the people of Israel were involved in this process. So for example, The the people of Israel created roads and paths that were smooth, and they would remove obstacles so that if people were running at night, they wouldn't trip and they would fall. They would build bridges over... Um, ravines and gullies so that they didn't get you know go down and get stuck and have to climb. they could run the best path possible there were even signs that they put up you know we think about our highway signs they had signs all around that would direct the people to the roads and then with arrows pointing to the cities of refuge I mean this was an important concept in the life of Israel uh, people would come out with water and food some people would actually run with the person to encourage them People would come out of their homes as they would run nearby and they would shout, run, run to the city of refuge and encourage them. And you think about that and how this previews our own involvement in communicating the gospel. You think about this message in verse nine that it was available to not only the Jew but also to the Gentile. Whether you were an Israelite or you were a sojourner in the land, The cities of refuge were for you. And church, you think about that for a moment. If saving a person's life, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter the background. If saving a person's physical, temporal life moved God's people to such extent to work and to strive, how much more should the gospel encourage us to get involved in communicating and spreading the good news to people who need to hear it? Because what's at stake? It's so much more than their physical life. It's their eternal life, their eternal soul. As rescued refugees, it's only right that we be busy telling other people where to find refuge. So, these cities of refuge, wonderful illustration of the gospel because of what they preview. But when you get right down to it, they're, it's, they're wonderful illustrations of the gospel because they point us to Jesus, our perfect refuge. You see, in Christ, God has provided not an escape, but that um, has not provided an escape from his justice, but a place where there is a just refuge. Hebrews chapter 6 says that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He is our place of refuge. And church, let's just face the, what the scriptures are telling us this morning, is that refuge is found only where God has provided it. When you think about this passage and what it's telling us about Jesus, and you think about how people treat Jesus. I mean, let's just go back in time. Let's imagine that you lived in ancient Israel, and let's say, you know, Johnny, you know, the, he, he accidentally kills Rick, and he says, oh boy, I didn't see that coming. So, uh, so he takes off running, and, and he doesn't go to Hebron, one of the, the closest city of refuge. Instead, he goes back to his hometown and say, Johnny, what are you doing, man? You need to be running to Hebron. He goes, have you had the falafel in Hebron? It's horrible. I mean, I like the, I like the falafel in my hometown. I mean, we have so much here in our hometown to recommend itself. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna park here. This is, a mu- this is so much better for me and for my family and for my life if I just seek refuge here in my hometown. People will understand. What's going to be the result of that? You know, the blood avenger is going to come and he's going to decorate his falafel with his blood. That's what's going to happen. It's not going to work. You don't have the right to establish your own road to refuge or your own place of refuge. How foolish would that have been? How foolish is it that millions of men and women in our world today think that they have the right to invent their own city of refuge, their own route to salvation, apart from what God has provided. Where God says through Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here this morning and you have not committed your life to Christ, my prayer for you is that God would open your eyes that you would see the foolishness and thinking that God will simply accept you because, you know, you're living a pretty good life and you're doing things what you think is the right way. My prayer for you is that your eyes will be open because right now the enemy has blinded you in the thinking that you're better than what you actually are and that you have the ability in yourself to please God in such a way that it will give you your salvation. You know, as we think about Jesus as our refuge, and we come to the table, we recognize the good news of the gospel is that Jesus welcomes the guiltiest of sinners. This table is meant for those of you who know Jesus Christ. You've committed your life to him. You're following him. You, you've confessed to him I'm a sinner, I have no hope apart from you. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? You've committed your life to him. This meal is for anyone who has recognized their sinfulness and need of a Savior and has committed their life to Christ, and he is your Lord and Savior. doesn't matter where your church membership is, as long as the church has accepted you into this sacrament, we recognize this, and we want you to take this meal with us. But for those of you who have not yet committed your life to Christ, this is a sacred meal. That's why it's called a sacrament. It's a sacred time. And instead of being a meal that you eat this morning with us as brothers and sisters in Christ, in a moment when we all bow our heads in prayer and we ask God to cleanse us before we take this holy meal, I would encourage you to pray a different kind of prayer. And it's two simple aspects to this prayer. One Confess to God that you're a sinner, that you cannot earn heaven because of your sin. Two, ask him to forgive you of your sins and have the Lord Jesus Christ be your Lord and Savior, that you're committing your life to him. Recognize and admit that you're a sinner. Commit your life this morning to Christ. You can do that in your bench While we pray in just a few moments, and so that the next time we take this meal, you can join us as our brother or our sister in Christ. As our refuge, Jesus welcomes you regardless of what's in your past. This meal is for guilty sinners. This meal is for Christians who have sinned this week. This meal is for Christians who are struggling maybe with a habit of sin. This meal is given to us by our Lord Jesus as a place of refuge, as sinners, because in it, he strengthens us for the battle against whatever those sin habits may be. Now listen, if you're holding on to sin and you're refusing to call it sin, this meal is not for you. Jesus says you need to have an attitude adjustment towards your sin. But this morning if you come and you've struggled this week, this meal is meant to give you hope and give you strength as you continue to fight pursuing your sanctification. As our refuge, Jesus offers all of this and he can do so because he has satisfied all of the demands of God's holy justice towards our sins. It's through our justification by faith, Paul tells us in Romans, that we now have peace with God, that there is no condemnation for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this meal is Jesus' gift of love to you, where you can experience his presence even this morning as he feeds your soul through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we're not to take the meal unworthily. The scriptures say that we should examine ourselves, that we should come before the Lord before we take this meal, and we should pray, and we should ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything that we're holding on to, and even this morning, confess it as sin, and ask God to give you the grace for victory over whatever it may be. So let's start there. Let me encourage you all to bow your heads and close your eyes for a few moments as the musicians take their place as the elders and the people serving elements take their place. I want to invite them to, to do so now while we pray in silence.